Kiat Mila Falsha. A hundred thousand welcomes from Visit Scotland. A podcast meeting people and sharing stories from the country that we love. Today, adventure and wellness. Welcome to Scotland. I'm Neil Robertson. As a Scottish travel writer and blogger, I know that often some of the best bits of my homeland have managed to stay hidden and off the radar. I've made it my mission over the years to change that. Today, I'm in an often overlooked region, southwest Scotland. Take a deep breath. That's the fresh air of Dumfries and Galloway. It's a place for breathing out, having a few laid-back adventures and, as you'll soon find out, gazing up at the stars. For me, it's about noticing the small things and the richness of what's around. Yeah, hi everyone, I'm Mark from Galloway Wild Foods. I'm a forager, I teach about foraging and wild food. And uh, the good news for you guys is you're in the nicest bit of the nicest bit of the nicest bit of Scotland, as far as I'm concerned. And especially, especially for foraging and wild food. One man who knows exactly what I mean by that is Mark Williams. The thing about foraging is it's not about looking for rare or weird or wonderful things. It's about recognising the amazing bounty that's around us. Within 10 minutes' walk of my house, over the course of a year, I can pick 300 different edible things. I have a heavy rucksack here that's full of all sorts of bottles. You get lots of tasters on the way if you're in the mood. Is anybody allergic to celery or onion, anything like that? Right, well, you should be careful because we're surrounded by wild onion-type things at the moment, um, so you should be wary of that. How are you feeling? (laughs) So, Mark, describe what it is that you do. Um, I guess I, I call myself a foraging teacher, um, sometimes I'm a foraging consultant, like working with chefs and um, you know, bartenders and people making gin and things like that, and I teach them about plants and help them connect. But really, most of what I do is just working with you know, families and groups and you know, people can book me, then I take them out and connect them with the edible landscape of Galloway, or anywhere in Scotland, but mostly I like doing it in Galloway because we've got the best wild larder in the whole of the world. I'm a bit biased, but, you know. <laughs> That's allowed, allowed. Yeah, and today we're taking this family out. I'm so excited because it's a coast and hedgerow and woods and it's spring and the sun's shining and the blossoms are out. It's absolutely perfect today. We're going to find so much stuff. I don't want to scare you off foraging, but I'm going to just show you something that could kill you quite easily, and it's really common around here. And uh, that, this is this plant just here. It could kill me by falling in the street. Does it look like anything else? Coriander, yeah, parsley. So that family is called Apaceae, is a kind of fancy name for it, but what we know it as is the carrot family. If you think about carrot tops, yeah. Uh, So that family, coriander, dill, fennel, parsley, parsnips, cumin, all these amazing spices and amazing foods, but there are some really scary ones as well, and this is one of the scary ones. This is called hemlock water dropwort. That would be enough to make you quite ill, probably not kill you. It has roots... Uh, that look a little bit like kind of grey-looking carrots. They're called dead men's fingers. And uh, you quite often see them washed up along the shore after a storm. And uh, if you boil them up and eat them like carrots, then you start to lose feeling in your feet. Uh, And then eventually it kills you by stopping your heart. And as it does that, I'm really going to put you off foraging for life. As it does that, it pulls all your facial muscles and it contracts your face into what's called a, a sardonic smile. 
and it's like you know the Joker in Batman, yeah, yeah? like a smile like that, and uh, and it's called a sardonic smile because in Sardinia they used to use this plant to put people to death if they were sentenced to death. So you remember it now, won't you? Your job on the walk is every time you see it, you go, there's some, there's some, so you recognise it really easily. Then you're a lot safer. You know, you're already safer because you know what it is. Yeah. I'll pass it around. It can't hurt you just by touching it. Uh, you should smell a kind of an acrid celery kind of smell. So tell me, what's so special about this region? We've got this kind of maritime climate. And, um, you know, as a forager, you're very connected to, to the kind of seasons and what grows when. And, and what I've noticed is talking to other foragers around the country is that we're closer to Cornwall than anywhere else in terms of we probably get a bit more rain, which is actually good for the plants. But in terms of when things start growing, like wild garlic starts in Galloway before it does anywhere else in the UK. I can pick it at Christmas. Um, so I've been picking it for quite a few months now. So guys, um, just a few little simple things about wild garlic. It is a member of the Allium family, so it's an onion. So yes, uh, you, you poor person with an onion allergy, that's really hard. Yeah. But the really nice thing to do with them is blitz them and use them in pestos. And I make loads of tubs of the pesto and just freeze them down for the rest of the year. So I make it with hazelnuts, fully Galloway, instead of pine nuts. I, made I make it with hard goat's cheese from uh, Galloway instead of Parmesan. And then I add in seaweeds and a little bit of fermented wild garlic and Scottish rapeseed oil. Mm. Tasty, eh? Tastes very good. It's and very spicy. You, so who likes pickled onion monster munch? Oh, yeah. Me? Oh, yeah. Mm. Right. So this is natural pickled onion monster munch flavour really? made with fermented uh -huh. wild garlic and it's then dehydrated. So have a try of that. Mm, it tastes like a healthier version. <laughs> it's like a forager's paradise because everything's quite close together. And the challenge for me is to kind of edit that. Have a crush and smell and tell me what you smell. You are allowed to eat this, although sort of in dog zone, but it's not very doggy. Yeah, licorice, licorice. It's really like licorice. There are at least half a dozen young kids here. I'm willing to try things. Um, nettles are incredibly good for us. I'm actually now not getting stung at all. There's a, there's a phrase called grasp the nettle, and it means if you grab a nettle really hard, then it doesn't sting you. If you go in really softly, like I initially did, I got a little sting on my oh. finger. If you like the wild garlic, get a wild garlic leaf and just roll them up like that. Crush it really hard like that. But then you can just eat that. I think you're on your own for that one. <laughs> well done, no. Ethan. I've never seen him eating green stuff. He doesn't even eat vegetables. <laughs> you do have to squish it. The way I've been led by the plants in, in Scotland, it's remarkable when you consider our habitat how dissimilar our cuisine is from Japan because our habitat and a lot of our ingredients are the same. We have all this like maritime culture, amazing seaweeds around us. And actually a lot of what I do like naturally leads me into more kind of um, Japanese style cuisine, if you like. We've got wild ginger, we've got things that taste of um, strong pepper and things that taste of coconut. Not exactly the same as what we import, but it's like, it's our stuff and why are we shipping it all in when it's all here? What's the neatest comparison to ginger that we've got then? Well, there's a few things. Magnolia's out at the moment. Uh, magnolia blossoms and uh, the petals of magnolia, especially magnolia grandiflora, there are quite a few different types. They have this really gingery profile. Right. So I pickle them in a sort of a flower vinegar. I don't know if I put them in actually because I was brushing when I came. <laughs> oh, holy cow! Um, <laughs> so um, everything in here except the rice was picked like within sort of 10 minutes of here. So. Uh, uh, no, Except no, no. The rest, yeah. <laughs> Our cuisine is a lot more exotic than people think when you start exploring it kind of closely.
I've kind of uh, rolled it with uh, sushi paper made out of nori seaweed, which we can pick on the rocks out here. The one called gutweed, which uh, sounds really gross, looks a bit like snot, but it tastes delicious. And one called pepper dolls, which is amazing, and they call it the truffle of the sea. But what I'm going to do is just drizzle on, it's probably better doing it this way, drizzle on some of this really rich, syrupy elderberry vinegar. Oh, look at that. This works a little bit, not quite like soy sauce, but more like plum sauce that you get a lot in Chinese and Japanese cuisine. So that's and elderberry. Yes, yeah, so that's why the rice is pink. There you go. So, have a little taste of Galloway. I hope there's enough for everyone. <laughs> we should finish these off. Right, here we go. Um, you could actually just use that as salad later on. Quite strong, eh? Oh, that's fantastic. Very crunchy, as you can probably hear. So, also, you have some cups. Um, so, I've got two things. One is um, a flowering currant soda that I just made up. So, I made a cordial. If you smell the flowers, you'll get this smell of black currant. And then I also have some elderflower champagne. This is uh, naturally fermented uh, with just water and sugar and elderflowers. And I use a little bit of um, a coastal berry called sea buckthorn. This year's elderflower, right? No, because I use dried. Maybe the grown-ups can have a bit of that. It's probably about five or six percent alcohol, so just a nice little effervescent kind of bit of oh, bit yeah. of fizz. That's plenty. That's plenty. <laughs> a little toast to spring. <laughs> uh, it tastes like rose yeah. lemonade. Uh, rose lemonade. Yeah. Oh, nice. I've just pulled over because we've got some red kites above us, gliding gracefully with the occasional swoop. I can't promise to be quite so elegant at my next stop, Wagon Outdoor Adventure. Wagon Outdoor Centre, Jessie speaking, how can I help? Archery, clay pigeon shooting, segway tours, uh, water bowling, grass sledging and the zip wire. Good yeah. I've got these two for segway at 11 o'clock. Yes, good to go. Just to protect your elbow. There we go. <laughs> there we go. The segway tour is just about to begin. And we're off. Okay, I think we're going uh, clockwise, Neil. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> There's a little bit like those things at Star Wars where you go fleeing along at great speed. <laughs> uh, here comes the uphill challenge. Uh, we're off to see the lambs. Beautiful, beautiful. I've lived here nearly all of my life and I don't think I want to leave. It's one of those places that you definitely need to visit. What's the best thing about it? Lagging Outdoor Centre. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Beautiful day other than the wind, eh? Oh, the wind is a bloody nightmare. So this guy I'm talking to now is Duncan McConchie. I'm sorry, it's a bit bumpy. We've still got to upgrade this bit. He is the man behind Wagon Outdoor. This is our hillside setting, and the views are incredible. 
you've got a 180 degree view of sea and then behind you you've got a 180 degree view of beautiful Scottish hillside covered in sheep and heather and bracken and gorse. Look out to sea to the Isle of Man into the Lake District Mountains into the Fleet Bay Isles. Can you see as far as Northern Ireland from here as well? Uh, if we took you up to the top of this hill, which is Ben John, we could see the mountains of Morne in Northern Ireland. So on a good day, we can see North Wales, um, the Isle of Man, and we can see the Lake District. So you really can see the whole of the UK. Um, so we're on our way up to the top of our zip wire, uh, which we started building seven years ago. And at the time, the longest zip wire in the UK was 400 metres long. So we thought, well, we'll put a really big one in, which will be twice the length of anything else. People came from all over the country. We had a family travel overnight. They drove through the night. They got here at 10 o'clock on the day it opened to the public. Mad. Um, but <laughs> good mad. Yeah. And how do you feel about Dumfries and Galloway in general? Well, I was born and bred here 40 years ago, and I was living a life down in Yorkshire, and... I decided that I wanted to bring my kids up in the lifestyle I'd been brought up in in this. It's a really safe, quiet, forgotten part of the country. Our family have been farming here for 108 years, since 1911. But here we are at the top. Um, right at the precipice. Yeah, <laughs> I promise the brakes work. Um, but, but everything you see in front of you, from the coast to the hills behind us, um, you know, this is what sustained one family. So how do you think your grandparents would feel looking at this now and thinking? Well, Granny, for her 98th birthday, did this zip wire. <laughs> and um, she was the oldest person to do it. And we actually then started a trend where old people started coming and doing it. Social media influencer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but, you know, she, she got such a lease of life from it. And that was amazing to see her flying over this land you know she went out for her birthday meal that night and was awake till two in the morning she kept the party going till yeah. two because she was buzzing off it how fast do you go so it depends on the wind so today you know we've got a really strong tailwind so we're unable to operate but if we were to put you on today you'd probably reach about 70 miles an hour but the, it's great fun but the problem is we can't stop you in the distance we've got to stop you at the bottom I was the second person ever to do it. And it was this thing you've dreamt of, you've helped build. And then all of a sudden, someone radios you and says, Right, Duncan, we need you to test your zip wire. And my family were all standing watching, ready to wave farewell, I guess. <laughs> and I gave a woohoo as I was going through, but the woohoo was 10 octaves higher. Uh, <laughs> it was utterly terrifying. What was the moment that you first started to turn this into what it is now? Um, I started by teaching archery in a cow shed. Um, started clay pigeon shooting. We started doing the art of rolling down a hill on a ball. Oh, yes. Um, and that was, that was bonkers. Right then, okay, so who's first? I'm ready. Hurry up. Who's doing it with you? Anybody? My sister. 
we tested it with ourselves. So we built a track and my brothers rolled me down the hill a few times. <laughs> Putting yourself in the front line. And then I survived. So I rolled them down the hill and they survived. And and literally, that's how it started. Okay. As I dive in head first, go on, take a plunge. We put 20 gallons of cold spring water in it. Okay, next. So it's like going in a cold cycle in a washing machine. Okay, so if you're just getting your hands and knees facing down the hill. Now when I say go, all I want you to do is start crawling down the hill, okay? <laughs> the ball's clear, so you can see where you're going. Um, and you kind of slightly are out of control, but you're not. It's just, it's just a real buzz. It was a lot faster than I thought it would be. Uh, he was like, I can't breathe, but he could. It's so fun. Oh, that was fun. Bottle tech. Jesse, that's us ready for the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Sounds amazing fun. <laughs> it was the following year we really went all out and built a zip wire and people come and enjoy it. And when they come they go, wow, Dumfries and Galloway. Did you ever make a den when you were a kid? A little hideaway to get away from your parents? Well, George Nicholson and his wife Julie have created their own little hideaway for everyone to share. They built a tree house and an eco-bothy, a small cabin, on their farm, not far from Castle Douglas. This is George. The people that come to the tree house in Bothy, we've got people in the, in the Bothy just now, and uh, the wee girls come down, they love feeding the lambs. They don't have names or anything though, do they? No. Some of them do, some of them do <laughs> okay. have names. Is this a, an orphan being yeah, fed from yeah, a bottle then, yeah? yeah? It's quite small because it was a triplet, but it's doing fine now. This is Maisie. Maisie's my daughter, our daughter. You all right going up? Yeah, yeah. So we're just a, a short walk from the farm then up yes. to the bothy, yeah? Yes. It's far enough, but close enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Close enough if people want to come down. Looks a little bit like a tank. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is that this is a way just to escape from it all, slow down the pace. A lot of people have proposed in here. Even the postman brought his future wife for a night. So nature brings and nature, out the nature romantic. brings out the romance in here. There's been quite a few actually. Yeah. It's a lovely thing, yeah. You're happy that you made them happy, of course. Here you come. So we're getting out the wind and this is the cosy wee treehouse. With a difference though. You just I feel more relaxed straight away. People seem to like that. Peace and quiet and something completely different. So the main room, the bed is the main feature, but there's a, a window in the ceiling so you can literally fall asleep under the stars. There's multiple small windows in the wall, so you can get a, a feel. It's almost like being in a castle or something, a little bit of a fort. You can see the enemies coming from the trees. It's great just to be able to, to look out all of the different windows, all different shapes and sizes. You feel very much like you're in the trees, but at the same time, 
you do have creature comforts as well. Yeah. We've got gas for cooking, obviously. There's the fire, of course. And it's the log burning. If it's cold, it heats up really well. There's about that much insulation of sheep's wool and just heats up very quickly. What is the, the treehouse made out of? Timber. And just timber structures. Sitting on large poles. They're very modern, they're very chic. But they blend in, really. You know, they don't stick out. It smells... It smells like the trees. Yep, it does. There is that nature in the air. Mm-hmm. You've tried as far as possible to keep the environment in mind with everything you've done. Why is that so important to you? Because we do, we think about it, yeah. And we like the environment, we want it to try and stay the same. And We're not intensive, our farm's not intensive by any means. I mean, how, how could you build a building without using natural materials? Go and have a look at the bath. <laughs> People lie in there. People lie in there and watch the stars. Wow. What a really nice thing to be able to do. You've got the stars right above you, Mm -hmm. the sound of the trees, and I assume no one's ever complained about the lack of a television. No. Bluebells are almost coming out, and it's beautiful when they come out. The wildlife as well, red kites and all the, the birds. I almost hit a red squirrel. One of our rarest treasures, and I almost killed one. I've seen them maybe two or three times in my life. They're beautiful little animals, and one just ran out right in front of the car. (laughs) I would advise anybody if they're thinking, ooh, I could maybe do with another jumper or a hat or something. Now is the time to go and get it. If your idea of staying up late involves six pints of lager and a nightclub, then tonight's entertainment might not be for you. I'm in the village of Glentrool in Galloway Forest Park at the old school, which is now Glentrool Community Hall. Okay, dokie, I'm just going to move this so just watch you don't get waxed by it. And we're going for a walk in the dark. There we are. Right, everybody ready? Guiding us on her walk is Elizabeth Tyndall, also known as the Freelance Ranger. Stick your red light on. That's got to either be a superhero or some sort of assassin. I'm just having a quick head count so that I make sure I bring back the same amount of people as I'm taking. So. Oh, you're trying to ditch a few. <laughs> yeah, four of them. <laughs> We've got a beautiful, glowing crescent moon to kick us off. So that one's one of the strongest stars that we can see at the moment. And it's called Sirius. It's the dog star. And it is about nine light years away from us. So if anybody here was born nine years ago, the light that started out from that star has only just reached us from the day that you were born. And, I mean, if we think about worst case scenario... We don't actually know that star is still there. 
And as one of the most famous constellations is actually showing up quite nicely for us, or starting to show up quite nicely for us. So I'm going to get out my very special Biosphere Dark Sky Ranger wand. If you hear or see an aeroplane, we can't use the wand. It's so bright that it can actually affect the eyesight of the pilot. The stars are out in force. Can you just see these three stars here? Anybody know what those are? Orion's belt. Yeah, we have Orion's belt. These three stars that just kind of go in a nice line to point towards Sirius. We should be able to see a red star up here that's just behind the wee cloud at the moment called Betelgeuse. Oh, there we go. Shining out nicely now. Stars have colours, like your lights, like your head torches have colours. And as we've been standing here, looking at the lights of the stars and so on, our eyes have been adapting to getting out here in the dark. And the pupil, what happens with that is it actually expands in the dark to let more light in. After 15 minutes, our pupils will be as big as they possibly can be. And then after that, there's actually a chemical at the back of your eye called rhodopsin that makes your night sight even better after about another 15 minutes. So after about half an hour out in the dark, that's when you can really see things. So, that way. Galloway Forest Park is, is a brilliant place anyway for lovers of the outdoors, for walking and cycling. History fans will love the Robert the Bruce connection. He was here with his men in the early years of his time as the King of Scots when he was on the run. Such a perfect place to escape from it all. When is peak darkness tonight, would you say? Uh, I would reckon we're probably in it now. We're doing pretty well. Okay. And we should be able to see... I mean, I can see it at the moment, this kind of Milky Streak, which is the Milky Way. It's not the best time of year for the Milky Way. But it's funny, we have people who come to the park and they go, oh, there was this kind of white cloud that was in the way the whole time. And it just wouldn't go away. And it's going, yeah, that was the centre of the Milky Way. Having said that, all the stars that we're seeing tonight are part of the Milky Way as well. So we should be able to see on a really dark night here something like 7,000 stars. And is there a grading system for the darkness as well? Yes, I mean, we're actually a gold-tier dark sky park. I think we might have been the first one in Europe. And that means that we're as good as anywhere else in the world. But it's all about uh, lighting. And Glentrill was the first place where they adjusted the lighting. And it's the only village actually in the dark sky park. We're world class. <laughs> On a night like tonight, you can kind of see why. So I thought we would just stop here and have another little look. Just listen for a little moment and tell me if there were any airplanes around. Yeah. It was no, moving really fast. Is it? Well, there you go. So there's a satellite right above us, right at the moment. It's <laughs> picking up the signal for my phone <laughs> that allowed that to happen. Yeah, when we see the meteorites, it just goes yeah. in a flash. It could be a small or even smaller than the grain of rice. But I do have with me... It's quite small, 
So this is a really, really old piece of rock that came from space. It's from about the beginning of the solar system. So that's probably one of the oldest things that you will ever touch. It's amazing how things have changed just in the space of half an hour. Those trees, my God. It's like they're alive, telling their own story. You get the odd animal call, the odd owl in the background as well. The atmosphere is remarkable. It's like they would have in a spooky movie where you'd have the door open and go, yeah. <laughs> What is it? Just the trees creaking together. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a lullaby in a way, and then it suddenly makes a shrieking noise. You'll look at trees in a different way after hearing them chatting like this, I tell you. That's it. Oh, nearly. Whoa, good sparks. Right, now strike it again. Yes. Yeah. High five. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Oliver. I started a fire from a bit of flint and steel. Thank you. So, what was it I was going over here for? Usually, it takes at least a week, I think, to fully relax when on holiday. That process is accelerated when you're able to fully embrace the outdoors. OK, give it a go. <laughs> oh, that brings a close to this episode. Good or not? Great. Yay! I hope you feel a little bit closer to Dumfries and Galloway. Until next time then, happy travels. For more stories from Scotland, listen and subscribe to 100,000 Welcomes. And if we've inspired you to visit Scotland, plan your trip at visitscotland.com forward slash podcast. Podcast.